Um, babe, you have a paper? Go give everybody one paper and one crayon. You get crayons because I'm children's church. And so, not to color, but um, once everybody has your paper, I'll tell you what I want you to do with it. So, real quickly, I'm going to recap last week. Um, uh, week one was on our podcast or Podbean that Pastor has, so you can go check it out on there if you want to hear it. But I'm just going to recap last week for time's sake. That way we can um, go through it quickly. So we, we've been talking about development. And so where we've been now is development in our thought life. And so last week we talked about conquering um, our evil thinking or wrong thinking with God's word. Exactly what Pastor said earlier. So we have to renew our minds and renew our thoughts and take off our old, sinful, dirty, nasty selves. So Pastor Ben brought his dirtiest, nastiest overalls. And everybody that was here will never forget it. Neither will he because I made him put them on. But it was a good illustration of what our thoughts do to us. Even though he was clean, he had just got out of the shower not long before that those uh that robe that he put on made him dirty so what we think and the words we feed ourselves what we wear that that can make us dirty number two we talked about um how the enemy uh doesn't want us to know the truth and God's thoughts are true. They're different than what the enemy says. And so I, t- I gave the illustration of Alex, how I looked at him, uh, one of his middle school games. And man, Pastor Larry, I sat there thinking of how proud I was of him and how much I loved him. And then he came off the field and he told me, Mom, the whole time I was playing, I just kept thinking how ashamed of me you were. I was doing such a bad job and I was such a terrible player. And I said, that's how the enemy works. God's looking at us and he's thinking, man, I'm so proud of that kid. Look at them. They're doing such a great job. My child's coming through and the enemy wants us to believe the opposite. And so we need to know the truth. We need to know that God says his plans for us are good. His thoughts towards us are good. And that's truth. And that's how we combat a lie is with truth. And then we talked about choosing joy. And that was my favorite part because we gave the illustration of Paul and Silas in the prison and they were not in just the county jail. It was dirty. It was nasty. It was disgusting. They were sitting in their own urine and poop, probably someone else's urine and poop because it was a dungeon. There was no light pastor. They had rats that ate off of their skin. The Bible even gives a description. um, If you read the commentary on it of how bugs would crawl in and out of every orifice that they had, anything that was open, they would crawl in and out of them in this specific dungeon. It was disgusting. And in the middle of the nastiest place they could possibly be, they sang and they worshiped and they praised. And not just them were set free. Everyone in that prison was set free. So we talked about choosing joy, not just for you, worshiping, not just for you, but for those around you to be set free. And so that's our recap of last week. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, she's done. And now we're going to go into our next one. So I'm super excited about this one tonight. And I kept telling Ben when we were driving and and even telling the Lord today, that's it. Like you don't have nothing else. This is where we're going. But God knows what he's going to do. And he knows the amount of time we had tonight. So this is perfect. Um, So I want you to take your paper and I want you to write on there. You don't have to do it right now, but don't take a long time thinking about it. Uh, they'll tell you in psychology, the first thing that comes to your head is usually the truth. After that, you're going to make it something you want it to be. So I want you to write on that paper the biggest lie, the biggest fear that the enemy tries to torment you with. It can be anything. It can be something different for everyone. Um, I asked Ben that question, and he said, babe, that's simple. You know, uh, failure. The enemy torments me with failure. He's tormented me in the past. Um, before with, with illness and now I feel great and I've combated that lie with truth and I'm not sick. I'm not going to die. He said, so now, 
I'm in a place where the enemy's brought something new. You're going to fail. This is the thing that you have to know. Fears don't go away. The, the spirit of fear will constantly come to bring a lie. He's never going to stop. We just learn to get fought. We just learn to get stronger and we learn how to fight him in a different way. So we're going to talk about tonight, overcoming fear in your thoughts. This is the month of October and it is a fear driven and fear based month. And so everyone who speaks to you, you do not want to miss a week because you're going to have some awesome speakers who come up and talk to you and every one of them are going to talk about fear. And so I felt, I found it fitting when I prayed, the Holy Spirit showed me talk about overcoming fear. That's a big thing we need to develop in our thought life because sometimes we don't realize it's a fear driven thought. So you'll hear people say, my mama used to always say this. Why didn't you call me? I was worried sick. I was worried to death. Why didn't you call me? And I thought, Grandma, why would you worry yourself into death? Why would you worry yourself that, to that degree? But sometimes we do because we play out the worst case scenarios. So what if we were able to combat that and do the flip side of that? What if you were able to worry yourself to health? I mean, think yourself into health or think yourself into happiness. I believe that we can. I believe that just like the enemy can take us to a place in our minds that is bad, God can take us there into a place where it's good, into our future. Because guess what, Sherry? Last week, before any of this happened, God was here at this moment. He already made arrangements for everything you needed. So whatever we're facing right now, or if you're not facing something... In the future, it's coming. And when it comes, he's already got the answer. Because he says, I'm working together for, you're good because you love me and you're called according to my purpose. So it's not just for you, it's for the bigger purpose. Sherry needs to be okay for the bigger purpose. Sherry needed her car to break down so that the lady at work could hear your testimony. It's always a bigger purpose. Everybody say, it's for a bigger purpose. So fear is having faith. That's stupid, right? But it's placing your faith into the wrong thing. You're having faith in the what ifs. You're so focused on what may or may not happen. Oh my God, what if this? What if that? Da, 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 da. And you play out all of these scenarios. You've literally gave this thing. It's your idol. You can just lay down and worship it because you've put your faith into what was not right, into fear. You put your faith into that fear. You fed it. So what do we do with that? Here's some practical ways. We're going to talk about it. How do we deal with fear when they come into our thoughts? This is my favorite one. Number one. Feel the fear and do it anyway. Do it anyway. Uh, you would probably think I'm lying to you when I tell you that every time I'm asked to speak, I feel fear. I feel fear. Pastor, do you still feel it? To some degree, I feel fear. The enemy still tries to use that tactic against me. So guess what? I feel fear, but I do it anyway. It doesn't mean because that fear isn't there that I'm, I'm not, I'm okay, but I can still feel it and work through it. Uh, I want everybody to turn to Exodus 4, 1 through 7. Because if you don't do that, we're going to see an example of Moses and what he did. He did the opposite. He allowed his fears to alter God's perfect plan. And so if we don't be careful, we'll allow our fears to dictate God's plan. Which means that, what, we're more powerful than God to some degree. Exodus 4, 1 through 17. Does anyone have it? Pastor Laura, you want to read it for me? 1 through 17? Yes, ma'am. Is it a lot? Can I read it in the message? Yes, please. That's my God. Okay. (laughs) Okay, so it says, um, Exodus 4, verse 1. Moses objected. They won't trust me. They won't listen to a word I say. They're going to say, God appeared to him? Hardly. So God said, what's that in your hand? A staff. Throw it on the ground. He threw it. 
it became a snake. Moses jumped back fast. God said to Moses, reach out and grab it by the tail. He reached out and he grabbed it, and he was holding a staff again. That's so they will trust that God appeared to you, uh, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God then said, put your hand inside your shirt. He slipped his hand under his shirt and then took it out. His hand was turned leprous like snow. He said, put your hand back under your shirt. He did it, then took it back out as healthy as before. So if they don't trust you and aren't convinced by the first sign, the second sign should do it. But if it does it, even after these two signs, they don't trust you and listen to your message. Take some water out of the Nile, pour it out onto the dry land. The Nile water that you pour out will turn to blood when it hits the ground. Moses raised another objection to God. Okay, Master, pause right there, oh. Pastor. So this is what Moses, what God's doing. God says, I know what I got. You know how many people say that about the kids? I know what I got. I already know what I got. God's like, I know what I got. I'm going to tell you to do it, and you're going to tell me why it's not going to work. So let me go ahead and show you physically, because that's how we are, Sherry. I want to see it, feel it, touch it, hear it. That's real to me. He says, all right, take the staff, pick it up. Okay, that's real, right? Oh, man, that turned into a snake, and now it's a staff. Look at that. Okay, cool. But that wasn't enough. If it's never enough, that's okay. You're in good company because trust me, the Bible's full of people who struggled through their faith and it grew and they were listed among the champions in Hebrews 11 and 1. So it's okay if you're struggling. God loves us enough. Then he takes his hand, puts it in, it's leprous, comes out and it's clean. What is God saying? No matter what you go through, no matter what you face, no matter what we go through on this journey, I can pull you through it. I can take you through it. No matter what. You're going to see some things that are going to cause you to think this isn't okay. This isn't good. But I've got you. Look, leprous, not leprous. Done. God's showing him time and time again. I'm greater than whatever fear you're going to conjure up out there in the wilderness. Because we're about to go on a journey. And it's going to be a long one. And it's going to be a hard one. And I know tomorrow, which you don't know today. So guess what? I got to show you physically. You've got to see it, touch it, smell it, taste it, and know that I'm greater than any and everything you're going to face. So God's showing him over and over and over again. I got you. Whatever you may fear, I got you. Okay, keep reading. Okay, verse 10. Moses raised another objection to God. Master, please, I don't talk well. I've never been good with words, neither before nor after you spoke to me. I stutter and stammer. God said, and who do you think made the human mouth? And hmm. who makes some mute, some deaf, some sighted, some blind? Isn't it I, God? So, get going. <laughs> I'm right there with you, with your mouth. So that's good. I'll be right there to teach you what to say. And he said, oh, Master, please, send somebody else. Man, Look, everybody say, send somebody else. <laughs> and don't act like you ain't never said it. We've all done it. <laughs> uh, verse 14. God got angry with Moses. Don't you, uh, don't you have a brother, Aaron, the Levite? He's good with words. I know he is. He speaks very well. In fact, at this very moment, he's on his way to meet you. When he sees you, he's going to be glad. You'll speak to him and tell him what to say. I'll be right there with you as you speak. And with him as he speaks, teaching you step by step. Okay, pause right there. So what God was saying is that I'm not going to even tell you what I want you to do yet, which is speak. Because you already, I already know where you're at. So let me show you what I can do. And then he tells him, now you're going to go speak. 
And his first reply, uh-uh, you don't know. I don't know if you knew this or not, but I'm not a man of eloquent speech. Like as if God didn't create him. How many times have we done that with God, right? Yeah, I'm telling. Here's my deficiency. I don't have this diploma. I don't have this accolade. I don't have this. I don't have that. And God looks at you and goes, yeah, like as if I wasn't there for the journey. I've been with you this whole time. And so Moses is looking at God and said, I know that you might not know this, even though you formed me in my mother's womb, but I don't speak well. I'm not an eloquent speaker. And God says, that's okay. He checked him, basically, right? right? He said, I and I'm the one who made mouths that work or don't work, and I made yours, and I can use yours. I don't need to hear from you why it's not going to work. And who knows what? Think about this for a second. What if Moses had never fought with him? What would have happened? Who knows? Maybe Moses would have went before Pharaoh, and all of a sudden his speech would have been healed, and he would have talked perfectly. There would have been no speech impediment. We'll never know because Moses never trusts God to that point. Regardless of what he showed him, he said, I just don't know. I can't. I can't speak. And you don't know God. Clearly you don't know. So let me tell you, I can't do it. What does Pastor always, Lori, always tell the women? We cannot say can't. It's not in our vocabulary. But Moses didn't have Pastor Lori. So he said, yes. He said, I can't, God. I'm just not able to. And so God says, in verse 14, she read it. And it says that in every version I looked at, God got angry. Yeah. God was frustrated. God was frustrated with us. If you think he don't, you don't know him very well. He loves us. We're his kids. And he gets angry sometimes because we don't listen and we're stubborn and we're going to do it our way. And so he's sitting here telling him all the reasons it won't work. So finally God says, all right, new plan. Let's devise another plan. You don't want to go my way. You don't want to do it my way. Let's get Aaron involved. Let's bring in Aaron. Aaron was never meant to carry that load. And if you keep on reading, you see some of the things Aaron did, you understand why Aaron wasn't supposed to be involved. But when we try to figure it out in our own devices, in our own ways, we reveal what we fear the most is where we trust God the least. So Moses' greatest fear in his thought life that he needed to overcome was his ability to speak. And God said, that's what I want to use, your ability to speak. Why do you want the weakest thing I have? I'm a strong guy. I can carry people. I can do this. I can do that. I can fight. No, I want the one thing that you think is the worst about you. That's what I want to use. And that's how God works. So whenever you find yourself arguing with him and telling him and contending with him, you have to remember, this isn't about me. Because what did Paul say? When I am weak, yet you are strong. Amen. I need the weakest part of you so I can use it as the strongest part of you. Because then you really just rely on God. Have you ever found yourself on a faith walk where you're like, God, I don't know what I'm doing. Perfect example, pastor. Open a restaurant. I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing with the restaurant. Cool. Yeah, I didn't ask you. Just open the restaurant. Figure it out. We'll get there. We'll, I'll give you the details along the way. It's like Noah with the ark. 52 by 48 cubits along the way. You're going to get the measurements as we go and you'll figure it out. But a faith walk is never easy, nor is it fun. Because you have to overcome in your mind the fear of, I don't know what I'm doing, so I'm not comfortable. So I feel fear even more because you've drugged me out of the boat. Here we are on the water walking and I don't know how to build a boat, number one. And I sure don't know how to do this correctly. So God is saying, that's cool. I don't want you to do it. I'm going to do it. Amen. I'm just using you. You're just a vessel. Yeah. Was that the it, or is there more? Uh, just a little piece. He okay. Says, um, he says, "I'll be right there with you as with him as he speaks, teaching you step by step. He will speak to the people for you. He'll act as your mouth, but you'll decide what comes out of it. Now take the staff in your hand, 
Now, that's a lot. It could have just been Moses go speak. Okay, cool. But now we got to add all that extra verse and all the extra stuff. And I, I, you know what? Forget it. <laughs> At that point, a guy could have just been like, you know what? Forget it. But Moses had to con- construct it to make it work for him. Everybody say, number one is feel fear, but do it anyway. If Moses had done it anyway, we don't know. When we get to heaven, we'll ask God if it would have been different. Number two, confront the fear. Confront it. The thought comes, confront that thing. Confront it. So um, what what we put on our paper, if you want to share, raise your hand. We're going to talk about some of our common fears. What are some common fears that the enemy uses? Anybody? Pastor. won't succeed with the church and enterprise. Good. So uh, failure. He's feeding you failure. Good. What else? Anyone else? Want to share? Sherry? Oh, good. He used that one on me all the time. And one time I was sitting at the table eating with Pastor Swan, and he looked over me. We weren't even talking about the kids. And he goes, you're a good mom. And I said, what? He goes, you're a wonderful mother. You've done the best you could, and God honors you for that. And I just broke down and cried. Because the enemy had put that thought in my head so long I received it as truth, and it couldn't have been more of a lie. So you're a good mother, Sherry. Yeah. God honors the effort that you made. Alex, what's your lie the enemy feeds you? You're not good enough. You'll never be enough. Why try? You're a failure. Again, uh, success. Ben said earlier, he said, you know, the enemy feeds you the fear of failure. But then when you start to succeed, he feeds you the fear of success. What are you going to do with that? You're not going to be able to handle all that. You don't want to succeed. That's a big thing. So he goes from one extreme to the other. You can't make him happy. He's constantly pulling mess at you, right? Anybody else? Fears that the enemy. Yes, Ms. Marsland? Exactly. You're not capable. Do we see the common thread? He can't even come up with new material. He's giving us all the same thing. Yeah. Good. What else we got? Anybody? Fear of dying. Fear of dying is a big one. Yeah, he's fed that to both me and Ben. You're going to die, so do you might as well just chalk it up, tell your kids goodbye. Or worse than that, if you're a mother, your kids are going to die. You're going to lose your kids. They're going to... They're going to go to heaven before you, and you're going to have to suffer through that. And that's a torment. If you've ever experienced that, he will literally put it in your dreams, put it in your thoughts, and torment you with that. And so, But we all know that they're what? Lies. They're lies. They're not truth. And so fear is false evidence appearing real. It's not real, right, Mama D? It's something he's giving you that's not truth. But if you accept it, is it true? It's true to you. It becomes your reality. Moses could have been used greatly and mightily, but because he accepted the truth that he can't, he didn't. Because he did it his way. He didn't do it God's way. That wasn't God's original design, right? So we have to confront the fear and we have to not give place to the fear. So I put a note in here because Asher Children's Church leader, pastor, overseer of your babies, I want you to understand the importance of not opening the door for fear. So I talk to a lot of parents who really just genuinely don't think there's anything wrong with watching scary movies. We're not talking about like Scooby-Doo cartoons and, and Casper the Friendly Ghost. I'm talking about demonic scary movies. They think it's cool. They like the thrill, the adrenaline rush, and they watch it. So I want to tell you from a child's, uh, from a child's perspective who grew up in a home where my mom watched Children of the Corn, one, two, and if there was a three, I've seen it. Uh, Freddie Cougar, seen them all, know them all. Don't know uh, Michael Myers because she thought he looked too fake. We needed the most tormenting. Poltergeist, seen them all, done it all. And so I grew up in a home where as a little bitty child, as far as I can remember, watching that. She'd go out on dates and leave me with poltergeist, and that's what babysat me. 
And so I grew up in a world where fear tormented me, Sherry. I'm not talking about like I just felt fear and left the movie theater and was cool. He tormented me. I was a 20-year-old woman. I was married to the kid's dad, and I couldn't sleep without a light on Miss Marceline. And I'm not talking about a nightlight. I'm talking about the big light in the middle with three bulbs on it. All that had to be on because I was terrified inside of what's going to happen when you turn those lights off. Because the minute those lights go off, he, it's coming. Every imaginable thing that I knew as a kid, all those doors are opened up and I'm back at it again. Now, I'm giving you an extreme because I've seen all of these horror movies. But I'm telling you, when you open the door, it only takes once. Yeah. We've given that enemy legal access to torment our children. And that was never God's design. Never God's design. I was 21 years old when I finally got delivered from that, Ryan. I was sitting in a church service. A prophet came, and I had, I think I was pregnant with Elizabeth. I was. She wasn't born yet. And I was sitting on the second or third row. The prophet's walking by to go to this other lady. He's given a word for him. He stops, and he looks at me. And he says, tonight when you go home, turn out your light and sleep in the dark. And that's all he said. He turned back around. And I thought, oh, my God, everybody knows. <laughs> I'm a grown woman, and they all know I sleep with the light on. <laughs> and so I remember going home. Felicia, and I was like, I can't do it. You know? It's stupid, right? You're like, come on, Pastor. You couldn't turn the light off. No, you don't understand. And so I went in there, and I, and I went and I got in the bed, and I'm like, I'm going to move the lamp to my side because it was across the room. So I'm going to move it to my side, and as soon as I get in the bed and I'm tucked in, this is my logic at 21 years old, babe. I thought this was literally how I was going to keep myself safe. I'm going to tuck myself in real tight, and then I'm going to reach over and close my eyes so it's already dark, and then I'm going to hit the light, and so then I'll be safe, right? I played all this out in my mind because two-year-old me is the one that's it's bad enough, it's right? But God gave me a word, and so I accepted the word, Sherry, and now I had to do the act. So I could have been like Moses and been like, that wasn't for me, but I knew it was for me, Pastor Lori. So I turned out the light, and I went to sleep. And I slept like I had not slept in a very long time, probably my whole life, because fear did not torment me. No bad dreams, nothing. And from that moment on, I've never slept with the light. Matter of fact, I don't like any light. Any little light, no, turn it off, I can't sleep. And God set me free. But I never was intended to live my life that way. Because I never liked scary movies. I didn't watch them. Even if it, if it was near me. I don't even like going to the movie theater where it's playing near me. I'm like, no, I don't want to be near that. I don't play with that stuff. I, don't, I know. I understand I have dominion and I have power over it. But I don't open doors like that. I wouldn't go in there and watch a preview. I'll walk out. Because I don't entertain the spirit of fear. So, side note for parents. If you open the door, you're allowing him to torment your children. And that's not fair to them. Everybody said it's not fair. So don't expose your children to it. So number one was what? Somebody tell me what was number one. Feel the fear, but do it anyway. Number two, confront the fear. We don't live in a place where we're going to be beat up and tore down. We confront confront the fear. And last but not least, this is my favorite one. Uh, Judges 4, 17 through 22. Uh, you guys can go there and I'm going to set you up for what we're about to read. It's Judges 4, 17 through 22. So in this story, you're going to be like, what kind of story is this? Because right before this, we talk about Deborah and the fearless prophetess, Deborah. And Deborah was awesome. But we overlook Yael because she was a mighty woman of God. She did what we all need to do where the enemy is concerned. <clears throat> so uh, Deborah issued the charge and she tells Barak, you need to go out and fight the battle. What does Barak tell her, Alex? Do you remember the story? He tells her, I'm not going to go unless you go with me. And she said, okay, I'm going to go with you. Let it be duly noted that the woman will get the glory, basically. They're going to say that the woman won the battle. Because God already said we're going to win. 
So let's go in and let's fight and let's win the battle. So what happens? They go to battle and Israel wins. Go figure, right? What God said came to pass. So as they're fighting the battle, Israel's winning. Their main king runs away. He flees. He runs away. As he runs, he, come in, he comes into this woman's house um, whose name is Yael. It's spelled with a J, but it's actually pronounced Yael. So who has Judges 4, 17 through 22? Babe, you want to read it? 17 says, Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Yael. Sisera is the king, so that everybody knows who that is. The wife of Heber, the, the Canaanite. Canaanite. <clears throat> yeah. Because there was an alliance between Javan, king of Hazor, and the family of Heber, the Canaanite. Jael <clears throat> went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. She opened a, a skin of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes by and asks you, is anyone in there? Say no. So you have to set the scene. They're in the middle of a battle. There's war going on, right? So the women are at home because the women don't want to fight. So she she knows who he is when he shows up. And when he comes in, she don't just give him water. He asks for water. She's like, no, let me get you some milk. Let me coat your stomach and get you real good and tired because you've been fighting. And you're wore out. And now you're worried they're going to come get you. But let me make you think you're safe. Let me give you something nice and cold to drink and fill your belly. Keep reading. Um, verse 21. But Yael, Herbert's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. Everybody say, he died. He died. Yael, keep reading. I'm sorry. You got one more. Just then, Barak came by in pursuit of Sisera, and Yael went out to meet him. Come, she said. I will show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her, and there lay Sisera with the tent peg through his temple, dead. Dead. Everybody say dead. Dead. So the enemy comes into her home. She takes him. She covers him with a blanket. She gives him milk. And the Bible says that she takes the tent peg. So I want you to envision and think about what that would look like, okay? So that's what we're going to do. We're going to do a quick little visual. So this is not tip, not really a tip peg, but this is kind of similar to what it would look like. This is what she did for a living. The Bible says she was a tent maker. So she went around and she made sure that all of the tents, there, their sidings uh, were secure, that they were in the dirt really good. She replaced them if they needed to be replaced. So this was common to her. Everybody say it was common. This is what she had. These are the tools she had. So when he showed up and she had to kill him, she went for what she knew. She got into her hand what she knew and what was common to her. And she knew how to then fight the enemy, right? So if you don't have the right tools, it's absolutely impossible to fight the enemy. You have to have the right tools. So when he comes into her home, she invites him in, puts him into a sleep, lures him into deception. Let me see your paper, Pastor. Makes him think. That he's coming in here to go to bed when in all reality, she's just waiting for his little self to fall asleep so that she can take this bad boy. And not through the side of his face or somewhere where he could just be disfigured. The Bible says she went for his head and she hammered. I can't do it. You want to do it? (laughs) I'm really uh, uh, wanting the impact of it. So I 
I'm sure you could do it better than I could. But the Bible says that she took the tent peg and she put it up against this temple and then she beat it down. Boom. It says it more than once. He died. He died. She took the tools that she had in her hand, what the God had given her, the abilities that she had. She took the tent peg and she put them through his head. So when the enemy comes into your thought life, into your mind, into your processes, you take what you have. What do you have that's sharper than any two-edged sword? We have his word. And the Bible says what? What does God say about fear? God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. First Timothy 1 and 7. I sought the Lord on the authority of his word, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Psalms 34 and 4. David said, I sought the Lord on the authority of his word. God, I didn't say this. You did. So let me remind you of your words. Take that tip peg and drive it through the lies that the enemy has placed in my life. Isaiah 43 and 1 says, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I called you by name, and you are mine. You are mine. We are his. We belong to him. We don't belong to the enemy. We don't belong to this world. And so whatever he's put in our thought, whatever fear he's lied to us and said, it wasn't ours. We don't receive it. We take the tent peg, we drill it through, and we take the word of God straight to that thing, and we kill it. Amen. He was dead. There was no more Sisera. It said it three times. He died, and he was dead. And they found him, and he was no more. (laughs) In order to kill the fact that the enemy comes to you and says, you'll never be successful. You'll never make it to the NFL. You'll never do the things that God's put in your heart to do. You'll never successfully pastor this church or raise up fat boys for great ministry. You'll never do, fill in the blank, whatever it is you want to do. I remember at one time the enemy had me so tormented I couldn't go back to school because I didn't get my GED. And Pastor Ben goes, just take the test. I'm like, I can't take the test. It seemed like this giant mountain. And then I took the test and slayed that, that demon. And then before you know it, I'm in college and I'm doing all these other things because it was just a small thing. But I made it really big. Because I believed the fear. I fed the fear. Where if I had got my tent peg and I got my hammer and went straight to the thought and just killed that thing. And not allowed him in my mind, not allowed him to to overtake me, I would have won the battle. So what you have to do, your homework is take your fear with you and find a scripture that combats it. I'm scared I won't be successful. David says in Psalms, Lord, give us success. And make our efforts successful in all that we do. And we read it and we do what pastor tells us to do. Sorry, pastor. We declare it every single day. What did God say? What did God say? So that's your homework. That's your, that's your homework. And once you find your scripture, I want you to take your tip peg. Find whatever you can. Tear that thing up and destroy that because that's a lie from hell. That is fear. And fear is a liar. My babies will tell you that real quick. So take what you have. Kill, your, kill the fear. Don't name it. Don't claim it. My fear is. It's not yours. yours. Don't claim it. The fear the enemy tries to put in me is this, but I don't receive that. I don't receive what he has to say. Take your tent peg, kill it, and remind him of God's word because that's the only authority that he understands. God's word. Okay? I love you. Oh, sorry.